Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. My name is Rain Bennett. I am your host, and my job is to help you deepen your connections, increase your sales, and serve your audiences better. Every Monday morning, I send out a storytelling tip to my email subscribers, and I talk about how I have used it in my own storytelling for my clients and for myself, and I leave you with tangible advice on how you can apply it to your strategies. If this sounds like something that would interest you, go ahead and sign up for the newsletter at rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. Again, that's rainbennett.com slash weekly storytelling tips. This podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that helps you tell heartfelt stories to maximize your impact in minimal time. Find out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted to share a story, share one of your stories, and thought, oh, just not comfortable talking about that. That's a little vulnerable, folks. That's a little scary. That's a little risky. Well, first of all, I want to tell you that you're not alone because it is scary and it is risky to be vulnerable enough to to share a story because we all know to share a good story, it's got to be one that has conflict, right? It has to be one that has something that we overcome It's got to have real, authentic details that people can relate to. So that often means you have to open up the, you know, and show behind the curtains, right? And open up your hearts and lay it out on the table to be judged by the audience. That is scary. Now I'll tell you another thing. When I leaned into that and finally was bold enough to do that, that's when my world, my life started to really change, and especially my life as it pertains to existing in the storytelling realm, the storytelling space. When I leaned into that and had the courage to be vulnerable and lay those authentic stories out there to be judged, that's when things started to click for me. I'll tell you a third thing. You know who else that it worked for? Today's guest. 
Today's guest is Kevin Allison. Kevin hosts the super popular Risk podcast and is also the creator, the founder of The Story Studio, which conducts storytelling workshops and courses and classes in New York. Now, let's backtrack a little bit. Kevin's background is in comedy, specifically sketch comedy, even more specifically He was a member of the comedy troupe The State in early to mid-90s MTV, which, if you're in my generation uh, and a little bit older, like Generation X, uh, these were the days. This was right around the grunge era and the 90s, just indie film and... Oh man, I, you know, for you Gen Z kids out there, and even younger millennials, uh, it's, it's going to be hard for me to explain the, you know, the 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 the, <laughs> the slacker generation, right? It was just a totally different vibe back then, of kind of counterculture, kind of stick it to the man. Um, I don't know, man. It was just a great time. It was a great time for comedy. It was a great time for film. It was a great time for sports. For me, I was a kid. Uh, yeah, I'm being nostalgic, but still. The 90s, specifically the early to mid-90s, were the jam. And the state, oh my God, was phenomenal. I didn't really mention this to Kevin on the show, uh, but I was a huge fan. And so I was really, uh, really excited to talk to him um, on the episode and, and learn what took him from that point to where he is now. But that show, I mean, the humor in the state was so not uh, just so out there and absurd and perfectly placed in the 90s uh a lot of a lot of that group went on to do things like you may know like reno 911 like wet hot american summer um and in the storytelling space like the podcast risk well when the state um disbanded or whatever you want to call it um they all went their separate ways and kevin's tells us that he spent the next 10 to 12 years really trying to find his voice as an individual. You know, when you when you are working as a group like this, you're dependent on the team and all the other characters and all the other members of that team. And so he he was kind of lost for a little while until he was he was doing a show and another member of the state, one of his friends, gave him a suggestion to just be authentic and tell tell his real stories. Like just be him. And he thought, well, that's that sounds a little risky. <laughs> and it was in that moment that was the seeds of the conception of what became Risk, the, podca- the podcast. And if you're familiar with The Moth or locally to North Carolina, The Monty and other storytelling uh, shows, radio shows, podcasts, live shows. Well, this is like one of those, except that it's about risky topics specifically. So... I have a few of those stories to tell, and I might submit a pitch uh, sometime, but I wanted to have him on the show to talk about that vulnerability and putting yourself out there in something that is hard to talk about. And so Kevin and I talked about, yes, we talked about what hits and what lands and what makes a good story, but we really talked about how how to find your audience and speak to the audience and lean into that vulnerability and talk about something that doesn't feel comfortable and why when you're able to do that it opens up doors of opportunity that you maybe once didn't even know existed right to just trust yourself and lean into that 
but it's hard to just trust yourself. So I think the things to do is you understand that you're not alone and everybody's got stories that are a little risky for us to tell. And the more we break down those barriers and give ourselves the safe space to tell and share those stories, the more we are connected as humans and the more we understand our way forward. So I urge you to be risky, you know, lean into that vulnerability Take the, the, the bold, courageous jump into telling these risky stories in order for you to find the audience that they resonate with, okay? And the best way, the next step you can take to be risky and do that is to listen to this episode. So here is my conversation with Kevin Allison, and I hope that you love it. Uh, first of all, are you in New York right now? I am. I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in Bed-Stuy. Okay. How's that been the past, what feels well, like three years? You know, I was so thrilled because there was an article in this week's Teen Vogue about Bed-Stuy and yeah. about the um, uh, community uh, mutual aid that we have going on mm. here. We have refrigerators all over the place where people are just leaving food for anyone who needs it. Wow. There's just an awful lot of, and then it, like every Black Lives Matter sort of march or rally, there's just lots of talk of how to help one another out and everything. So I've been really kind of like impressed with my neighborhood at least. I mean, yeah. it, it, one of the things that really stinks about my situation during 2020 is that I live alone and mm -hmm. I don't live near nature. So there's been a heck of a lot of just sitting around in this apartment or walking around the city streets. And I really kind of wish I was able to have a lot more person to person time. Yeah, yeah you kind of like realize oh my gosh i should live nearer to my friends <laughs> I've, had, dude, I've, I've had the same realization i lived in new york and I, I lived in uh um green points and uh and mm -hmm. park slope for a little while in fact i think we know some uh, uh you know victor barnado yeah 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 victor's i used to work with victor uh in bed uh -huh. um or bushwick per, uh more appropriately but um but yeah uh that, you know I'm in North Carolina now, which is where I'm from, but I had the same realization even not living in New York anymore that, you know, I'm, I'm a filmmaker, I, you know, I'm always kind of here in my, in my uh, office and working and I don't really seek out, I don't go out that much anymore, yada, yada, yada. But I was talking to my wife recently. I was like, man, I'm, I think I'm lonely. Like I have, you know, I haven't, the, the little things that I had, whether it just be having a beer with a friend every now and then going to a movie or like playing soccer with some, some buddies, none of that's happening so it was you like, didn't realize how important I, that was exactly and so while i wasn't like you know i was very like i said focused on work and not a social butterfly i guess anymore that little social interaction uh, consistent social interaction that i had when it started lacking it, you know i felt the effects i was like man i really like i need to just start reaching out to people however that might be because like i'm feeling this yeah you know, a lot of people are so i was really curious to ask because you know, a lot of my friends are still in New York and many of them have left. Uh, so I was just curious, like how, how you're handling it, but that's like a really, you know, pretty picture that, that you painted uh, uh, of Bed-Stuy. I really like that community aspect of it. Yeah, well, I will say one thing that is storytelling, working on a storytelling podcast definitely helps mm -hmm. because you have so many conversations 
conversations with storytellers and with staff members about aspects of life that are like, you know, not small talk. <laughs> so like, for example, our live streams, when we first started doing risk live streams, yeah. um, like the response from the audience was, oh my gosh, this is so important to me. Like, it's so intimate to see someone in their home, like looking right at me and sharing such personal stuff that it, it was just very, people felt it was even more cathartic than Risk usually is, than mm -hmm. the podcast usually is, because everyone was feeling such a need, an extra need for connection in, in that, the early yeah. days. And I mean, as you well know, stories provide that connection. I think it, I mean, it's so important, but like, was it, did it create more of an obstacle for you or like when coronavirus happened, since you're not doing like live shows and things like that, or did it open another door of opportunity because now people that wouldn't be able to make the show uh, were, were, were able to access it? A little bit of both, you yeah. know, like we have done shows that were aimed at a Europe time zone. Okay. We've done shows that were more uh, good for LA time zone than New York, et cetera. And yeah, we can, we can now feature storytellers from all around the world. We, you know, what we would normally do with Risk is one show a month in New York, one show a month in LA, and then two or three shows a month with me traveling to other cities. So yeah. there was a heck of a lot of me getting on airplanes all the time. Um, and I really miss that. I definitely, yeah. definitely miss being able to tell a story and to really feel the listening in a room. You know what I mean? Like, like It's not the same. Yeah, I mean, obviously funny stories, laughter is like, you, you, you know, anyone can roll on laughter and that's great, you know. Um, but even emotional stories where there's not as much laughter, you can still feel the listening and see oh, in people's time. eyes how it's going over. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it reminds me of the first time I did, we have a local story slam here, mm -hmm. you know, much, much like uh, the moth and other storytelling uh, um, platforms. And the first time I did that, uh, I, I still refer back to this moment. It was a, everyone was telling comedic stories that night and I told kind of a heavy story. That mm -hmm. And there was a reveal. At first it sounded like it could be comedic. And, and when that reveal happened, I heard an audible gasp, you know, from the audience. I was like, oh, sh like I've, I, we're con I got them, you know, we, yeah. we're connected. I kind of, and I won. That was my, my first one I had done and I won that one. And I knew in that moment that, that I would have. And I still write about that moment because it wasn't a laugh. It right. was a gasp and I was like, whoa, that's, I, it was palpable. Like I yeah. felt. And, yeah. And then it was like, wow, this is, uh, there's something bigger going on here than just kind of standing on stage. Like they all felt that now that I've, you know, spent the, the next two or three years nerding out about storytelling and learning about it. I understand what that concept is and what's happening up here, you know, while that's happening when we're all kind of uh, connected on that, on that brain level. But in that moment, it was, it was strong. I always encourage storytellers not to over-memorize a story and to leave room for reacting to the in-the-moment reaction in the room. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, like you know, like, if, you, if you're up there on stage and you're telling a story and you suddenly get the feeling, oh, they're not they're not getting me or they're not liking mm -hmm. this. Like you can literally acknowledge that. You, you, you can say to the audience, 
oh, maybe you're not getting me, yeah. or, you know, oh, uh, let me clarify, or whatever, you know, like, or, uh, you know, may, uh, amp up your energy or just yeah. make adjustments, whatever it might be. Um, and, and, and I think that's important because you can have little discoveries about your own memories when you're saying them out loud. You know, you can, like, there have been times when I've been on stage where I've been like, oh my gosh, I just remembered another little <laughs> chunk of what happened when I was 10 right here on stage that was not a part of what I had been working on. You know, so that, to leave room for that, because that can be magical. Absolutely. I mean, that's that organic kind of dance that you do with the listener, right? And it's not just this one way direction of, you know, of communication. It is a, it is a, it's a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah. It, it makes me think we've had a, a, a couple of improv comedians on the show. Mm -hmm. And so there's a natural link there. And this, this is what it, it makes me think of. It's like, it seems to me like, like comedy, you understand what's hitting and what's not hitting. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to make those adjustments on stage if you don't want it to be a, a, a dud. So I'm interested because uh, like I said, we, we've talked to a few improv comedians and your background is mostly in sketch and stand up. Mm -hmm. Is that accurate? Uh, sketch, you know, sketch. Not, not very much stand up okay. uh, uh, at all. So sketch and storytelling. Got it. So my question is that, that, that this is good then because I've talked, we've gotten several times the connection between improv and storytelling. What are the connections, you know, when you compare sketch comedy and storytelling? That's fabulous. What a great question. I rely on the exact same principles that I used to for when I used to teach sketch comedy because before I even discovered storytelling you know before I really even knew that the moth existed or anything like that I was teaching sketch comedy classes because I had that background right. of being in the state we had our own show on MTV we were a sketch comedy group that formed at NYU okay we all met in 1988 and we got a show on MTV within about a year of having graduated from college. And at back at that, in the late 80s, there wasn't comedy education in New York City. Mm -hmm. So we were just kind of going off of instinct and having like grown up watching SNL and Monty Python. Um, but by the time I was, you know, the show was long gone and now I was in my 30s, someone invited me to teach a sketch comedy class. And so all of a sudden I had to start being conscious of, wait, what are the, what is the typical shape of a scene? Well, there's usually a setup where you kind of establish who the main character is and what their deal is. Uh, there's usually an inciting incident where something happens that kicks them in the butt and makes them want to give or get or do something. There's usually a period in the middle of the story where they are trying to give or get or do something, but they're meeting up with obstacles or, you know, finding uh, parts of themselves that are getting in the way or whatever. And there's usually a sort of emotional turning point, a main event where that they either do accomplish something or fail to or make a new discovery and kind of turn a corner and then there's a bit of a resolution typically where we, what do we make of all that you know um so i used to teach that in sketch comedy classes and then realized oh well that's just you know the the scenes that we create in sketch comedy are just little stories mm -hmm. you know so, so it when, applies over here as well. When, when you guys were doing the state, uh, 
was that something that you weren't as conscious of? Like, you oh, knew absolutely, was, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were not. We were not conscious of it. Yeah, this, it wasn't this sounds, until this I started. Funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wasn't until I started teaching it that I was like, "Wait, what yeah. the hell have we been doing all these yeah. years?" <laughs> yeah, this makes me. I don't. I, I won't be able to quote who said this, but uh, you know, some podcast or book that I read, I, I heard uh, someone say to really learn a craft. Uh, there's kind of three levels like you know, of people that you work with to to perfect that craft. One, you want to work with people who are on your level, peers, sure. contemporaries. Uh-huh. One, you want to work with people better, mentors, teachers. And then also you learn a different way when you work with people who are, are not quite on your level because now you have to distill that information in a way that they can get it. So you have to understand it even better to simplify it. That's fabulous. Right. When I heard that, I was like, oh shit, that makes so much sense. And that, you know, so when you're actually, when you had to teach those classes, you're learning sketch comedy in a whole new, uh, from a whole new perspective. Absolutely. It gives you a fuller picture of how to, how to do it. And so that's what that reminded me of when you said that. Yes. And what happened to me was that, you know, after the state broke up, there was about 12 years there where I was really at a loss for mm. what to do next in my career. I, I, I was battling with stage fright. I had a lot of social anxiety about other comedians. I was doing a lot of drinking. So very <laughs> that, messy 12 too, years yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it now, real quick, was that before, I mean, was that, do you think now that you can look back at that, was that because of that you know, lack of connection. We already talked about how important that is. Like when the group broke up, did it make you feel somehow like lost as an individual? Yeah, absolutely. I felt like in a group, in a creative group, there's always some, you know, there's lots of strengths and weaknesses and people, you know, help one another out with, uh, you know, whoever's best at writing or whoever's best at acting or whoever's best at organizing. You're like role players, basically. Right, exactly. So I was like, you know, in the group, I was always kind of the the oddest guy, the the guy who would, the only gay member of the group, the guy who's... Uh, sense of humor was a little bit more absurdist or risky and so you know once the group broke up I was like oh my god how do I carve out a niche for myself I just didn't know what to do and so I I started doing one person sketch comedy uh Uh where just getting up on stage and playing kooky characters kind of like um uh you know Andy Kaufman and some of those kind of folks would do and then it was a while into that, it was 2009 when Michael Ian Black, who was a, a another member of the state, my sketch comedy group, he came to see one of my live shows of just five crazy kooky characters. And afterwards, he said to me, "It was a de- it was a disaster that night. It was clear <laughs> that the show had bombed." Right. <laughs> and afterwards, he said to me, "You know, Kev, I gotta be honest with you. I wish." that you would drop the act. I wish you would just stop playing these characters and just get up on stage and tell your own true stories. And I said, oh, but I'm so many things that mm. a lot of people might be uncomfortable with. I'm very gay and very kinky, but I'm also very polite and friendly and Midwestern, which confuses people and all <laughs> this. And I said, it just feels too risky. And Mike said, uh, cling to that word <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because if it feels risky, you probably are onto something. Like if you open up to people in a way that feels 
a little dangerous to you, they're much more likely to lean in and open up to you than they are to turn you off. Yeah. And, I, and so I, the next week, I returned to New York and I was like, oh my God, I feel like I've been challenged. I feel like the gauntlet has been thrown down. So I thought, well, the riskiest story I could think to tell at that time was the first time I prostituted myself when I was 23 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I called a friend. I knew she had a storytelling show, even though I've never seen a storytelling show before. And I said, I'll tell this story about this. She said, great. And the day came. And I was like, I can't do this <laughs> this is too risky and i called her like a few hours before the show and i was like I, I gotta back out this is too risky and she was like that's such great news because my show is all about sex stories and people really have to kind of take a risk to tell like some mm. of those kinds of sex stories and Every time we do the show, someone calls up and says, ah, I think I want to back out. This feels too risky. And she's like, if I can convince that person to do it anyway, that's the story that's going to knock it that out of the park that night. Yeah, so she yeah. convinced me. And my experience that night was so profound. I, 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 I'm not sure I realized it at the time, uh, but it was so interesting to tell a story and see, like, not be a character, not be hiding mm. behind any whatever. Yeah. And have the audience just continue to accept me and, like, continue to be emotionally plugged into what I was saying. There was just a real energy in it. That's so I, I, it, it changed everything for me. Yeah, those moments do. And first of all, like, give it up to, you know, Michael Ian Black, because those are the best friends, right, that will have that, like, I got to be honest, <laughs> you know, like that's not yeah. every friend will do that. Right. Yes. Look at what's transpired true. since that. So, I mean, that's a, that's a good friend that will, that's vulnerable on his part to, to just, you know, risk, you know, pissing you off or hurting your feelings to, to, to keep it real with you. So I think that was a good move. Um, You're absolutely right. Yeah. The, the story you just told it, you know, I mentioned the, my first uh, story slam that I did same exact thing. I was telling a story about uh, uh, my alcoholic father when I found out that he had been like, you know, abusing my mom. So mm. not something I was super pumped to talk about, especially in mm -hmm. front of a couple hundred people. And it, there's eight people that get chosen. They take an intermission after four. You don't know if you're getting called or not. You put your name in a, in a hat. And so four people have been called. I still haven't been called. And I'm literally, I'm sitting there with my, uh, my wife and I'm like, God, you know, we should we should probably just go like i'm probably not gonna get called like you know we've had a couple drinks let's go and she's like what are you talking about like this is what we came here to do right and i was searching for a way out like legit and then i yep. got called up at number six did that felt that audible gasp and and then won and then the feeling you know the the reward is much greater than that risk as we find out right later oh on. absolutely you know like with so the whole idea for Risk, my podcast, occurred to me on my walk home from the UCB theater that night after God. I told that uh, hustling story. Uh, it, it occurred to me, I was like, wait a minute. I don't think, I, I'm not quite sure how conscious I was of the fact that, you know, I knew I was gay when, like from the beginning of consciousness, which is very traumatic for a child to like know that at such mm. a young age, to like comprehend that at such yeah. a young age. 
Um, so my entire childhood was all about, I've got to keep something in the closet. You know, I've got to like, I when I went to kindergarten, <laughs> I was terrified. I, I remember the year before I had to go to, ter to kindergarten, I was like, oh my God, once I'm around other kids all day long, someone is bound to find out this thing that I'm hide hiding inside. What am I going to do? So I was just very conscious as a kid that I was in, in the closet about something. So that night that I told that story about hustling at UCB, I walked home and I was like, wait a minute, what if I created a show where everyone is coming out about something, whether it be, you know, drug addiction or, you know, some, a silly, mortifying, funny experience or, you know, a death in the family, whatever it might be. Everyone feels like they're going outside their right. comfort zone and like getting something off their chest. And so that was the concept of the show. And it really, it, it really became that. Yeah. Well, because yeah. we all face some, some version of that to different degrees, right? Absolutely. It's a spectrum, but like all of us have secrets or things that we're vulnerable, vulnerable about and, and don't really want to share or put out there. So you know, you're, you're speaking to people, they get it immediately. I love that platform. This is a place for you to tell those stories. Oh, absolutely. And here's the thing. You don't have to have interest in or experience in whatever the storyteller is talking about. Like my own being kinky, my own being like such a big member of the BDSM community has been very useful for my storytelling mm -hmm. because there's a lot of psychology in BDSM and a lot sure. of crazy experiences. And I can, I can talk emotionally about things that have happened to me in kinky situations and people will listen and they won't have any interest in getting into those kinds of situations or any experience with that sort of thing, but they hear my emotional journey. And so it'll be like, oh, well, that kind of reminds me of how I felt when I went on that roller coaster with my mom or whatever it might be. You know what I mean? Like, like um, you know, people resonate with the emotional truth. Right. It's yeah. not the experiences, it's, it's the emotions, it's the feelings that you yeah. feel. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Why, we, you know, we've talked about kind of that identity, you know, why you struggle with being open, honest, transparent, authentic. Uh, and I actually, I know there's a, I'm, I have another podcast guest that's coming in the future. This is a total coincidence that just happened. I was doing a little research on, on him before uh, we recorded his episode, Ray Christian. Oh my uh, God, I right. love Right, so you Ray. gave him his first shot on, on yeah. risk. And, and I was just listening to him tell the story of sending, sending his story out to people and getting rejection after rejection. And then he finally got an acceptance and, and driving to Chapel Hill, uh, which is very close to, to me. I'm in Durham, North Carolina. Um, and he talked about that feeling of how scared he was going, you know, going on stage. So this is yeah. something that all storytellers uh, uh, go through. So, so what, why is that so scary? You know, we've, we've already talked about, like I said, that identity issue, but, but why else is it so damn scary to be vulnerable and, and, and open in front of people? Well, I'll tell you, like this week's risk, we have something called the risk podcast fans discussion group on okay. Facebook, which is where the fans can come 
to share their feelings about that week's episode. Okay. And just today, there's yet another like explosion of people being like, I really have mixed feelings about the choices that the, the, the storyteller told a story on the show about adopting a couple of foster kids, uh, not knowing that one of them had severe behavioral issues, mm. um, and then coming to be at wit's end with this kid acting up in ways that begin to seem a little, oh, I don't know, a little insane, you know? Um, I don't know anything about raising children. I don't have children myself. Uh, and I knew, and I told the storyteller herself, look, people are going to have very mixed feelings about this story because, you know, ultimately they gave the children back to the agency, right? And so she has regret and remorse around all of this. But even though she's expressing all that rem regret and remorse, people are still going to be like, screw you, lady. I, I care more about those kids than you in that situation. So there is, you know, it's our messiest stories. It's the stories where we got into ethical gray area um, or might not be so proud of all yeah. our choices that I think are most important to share but you do have to have the stomach to realize that some people are going to write back on the internet or wherever. Uh, I think you're kind of a jerk. Yeah. But it's the, <laughs> or it's, whatever. It's, it's those kinds of choices and stories that actually make change, right? Like if I tell a funny story, that's good in that moment, I think, but I don't think it has like resounding effects later i you know i may be off the mark there but when you tell one of those because i've told some of those risky stories too on a public platform and yeah you take a lot of criticism too but i think it takes that to really affect change oh um, absolutely yeah. Abs some of the stories about you know, abuse um uh rape or child molestation or, or these sorts of things where people had to deal with just extraordinary trauma these things have clearly been hugely affecting. I mean, we get emails all the time from people saying, oh my gosh, I finally realized I need to get to a therapist or, oh my gosh, your show actually helped me realize I have to get off of this drug that I'm on or whatever it might be, or I have to heal my marriage, you know. So yeah, I mean, there's just been an extraordinary response to the show over the years. But yeah, at the same time, it, it, it can be a little risky to be as, um, as transparent as you can be in the storytelling. Because every now and then, you know, someone might really, like, I don't know, criticize you for your point of view or your interpretation of what you lived through. And, mm -hmm. you know... You got to be willing to like understand that that's going to happen. So a lot of, the, you know, one of the things I did this year to, to kind of pivot, you know, we're not, I'm not flying either. I was used to, to traveling two or three times a month um, is I started one-on-one -on -one story coaching. Um, and a lot of the people that I work with and the clients that I have are very, very early in, in this stage. Most of them are these people who are scared, but, but they feel that thing pulling them, right? They're yeah. Like, I know I just, I really feel like I should share my story, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that's exciting. I love to help those people unlock that thing that gets them to step one or, or step two. Mm-hmm. Um, and many of those people are, want to do it on in an onstage format. Some want to blog, some want to do various, you know, other things, but many of them want to do it on stage, which is, you know, how I, how I started. Yeah. Um, what tips would you give someone like that? You know, they are scared. They're in that moment. They may, or they, they're, they're taking a, a risk, right? What are some actionable tips that, that you would tell like a first timer on, on how to be a better storyteller on stage? Well, I would say, you know, be prepared for the workshopping process to be long and maybe, you know, like a story that you tell in 2018, you might want to tell again in 2022 and have and rework the whole thing because you have a different perspective about it. So be prepared that you're, nothing has to be written in stone. The story mm. might evolve. It's always a good idea to run the story by uh, a, a few people, one or two people who, are, who you trust, who are smart, who are caring. And, even your therapist, I often, if people have a therapist, I will encourage them, try telling the story from beginning to end to your therapist and see what happens. So running it by a few people can be very helpful. I personally will work on a story with GarageBand. I, I will, the first time that anything comes out of me, it will be my voice rather than typing. It will be me just sitting down and talking as if I'm talking to a person and knowing, oh, this doesn't have to be perfect at all. This is just me vomiting out what I think the basics of the story are. Then I go back and listen to that recording and that's when I start typing. I start writing down the parts that worked and adding new parts, but it's gonna be in the sound of spoken conversation because that's how it started. Because people have a, fall into the trap of doing things that sound literary syntax. People are used to personal essay writing from their school yeah. days <laughs> and we want to avoid that. Yeah. Um, and finally, you know, the, the thing that I think that, like the biggest thing that people have to learn about storytelling is you really do want to zero in mostly on a few select moments in time, the most key peak moments of the story, and then really flesh those out. You know, if your story is about a car accident, make sure you spend some serious time slowing down time and -hmm. giving us all the sensory experience of the accident itself um, so that you're not spending too much time in the story building up all this context about, you know, the town I lived in or, you know, that, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you want to make sure you're, you're putting most of your focus on the key moments and really fleshing them out with sensory memory. Yeah, that's a really great point. And, and I just want to call back to the, um, the initial point you made about, about leaving that space open for the audience to, you know, to kind of, manip- you know, dance with them a little bit. I really, I really love that idea. And it's so, it's so, so true. Oh my God. When I used to do character monologues, I would have such terror about blanking out. In mm-hmm. fact, I tell a story on the show, uh, where I did blank out once on stage in front of a bunch of famous comedians. And it was a total, it was the actor's nightmare. Oh no. Um, but then when I started doing Risk, I'll tell you, like, 
I remember I was on stage, totally blanked out, and then just said to the audience, I'm sorry, I just totally blanked out. What was I talking about? And then they yelled out to me where I was and helped me out, and then we were back. You know what I mean? Like, it is that conversational. You know, people, storytelling audiences are particularly uh, cooperative and supportive, you know? That's true. Yeah. That's definitely true. So when when did you create, like, what was the, you know, the thing that led you to create this, the story studio, to take all this stuff and really, like, organize it into this, this structure where you can help people understand the structure of storytelling? You know, it's exactly what you were saying before, that the, so I created Risk, the first Risk live show was in August of 2009. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't know, this was a few months after that incident where I told my first story at the UCB theater. So I didn't really know much about storytelling at the time that I decided to create a storytelling show. So I decided to just start doing as many storytelling shows as I could that summer. And then once we had Risk up and running, myself and the producer of the show thought, you know, we're doing a lot of coaching people behind the scene as to how to tell a story. We should just start teaching classes. So we went to the People's Improv Theater and said, hey, could we teach a class under your aegis? And they were like, yeah, sure. And those classes went so great that we decided, wait a minute, we should just start our own storytelling school. Um, and also, by the way, those, those classes also helped me become a better storyteller. Precisely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. What's, what's something that, uh, I, know, I know you got to go soon. Uh, what's something that you've learned about yourself through this process, this new journey that you've been on through, tell, through storytelling? You know, one thing I didn't ever quite anticipate is that the process of revealing yourself and finding yourself never quite ends. Like I will put out a story where I feel like, oh, I'm removing a veil and revealing to everyone, oh, I'm actually flawed in this particular way. And then feel like, oh my gosh, I've been so self-actualized here. And then realize, you know, like a month later, well, I've never told anyone about this other thing. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's a never ending process of, Oh my gosh, are there part, you know, like, the, and, and I talk about this in therapy all the time, but you know, it, it's good for, it's good for a storyteller to probably have a therapist. <laughs> yep, got my meeting next week. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, 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 like oftentimes I'll talk to my therapist about, you know, I've never told a story about this. And my therapist will say, I want to wait a few years on that one, you know, <laughs> and we do that with on risk as well. Yeah. Like people will come to us and we'll think, oh boy, this person has some serious PTSD around this issue and, and they should maybe take a couple of years to try telling this in different contexts. And then that person will come back to us in a year or two and be like, thank God mm-hmm. you told me to like, you know, mull it over and meditate on it and work on it for a bit because yeah, I wasn't ready back then. Yeah. So it's, it's fascinating. That it's way. really interesting to me how storytelling can be such a tool, a therapeutic tool, right? And yeah. I like that point of you might not be ready to use this tool yet. You're on stage three, like wait till we get into stage five. The, the thing that keeps coming up, the theme, I think that's emerging here in this conversation is, is, is evolving evolution, right? 
you are constantly evolving. Your story can constantly evolve. I love the tip that you said about like, you know, it's okay. You may revisit it in two years and there may be new elements to that. And so I think that's a great place to end because that's, you know, I love that theme because it's so true. We don't ever stop growing. We don't ever stop learning. Our stories continue to evolve. And when you realize that, you understand there's not this one moment of achievement and it takes a little pressure off. It lets yeah. you go for the ride and just enjoy the ride instead of just saying like, oh shit, I've got to nail this story. So right. you, you will notice that great artists, whether they're painters or filmmakers or whatever, often return to the same themes or the same sorts of images or whatever to continue working on cracking yeah. the nut that they're obsessed with, you know? And it's very similar with us in storytelling too, where I'll find myself, you know, in a story where I'm dealing with the same insecurities or the same, <laughs> yes. you know, bad habits or whatever yep. it is. Yeah, I yeah, wrote yeah. about that today. I was writing about something I had overcome a while back, but I'm like, in parentheses, I'm like, I still deal with this every day and have to <laughs> yeah, fight it back. I mean, right, I'm not exactly. like a master at this, yeah. you know, I just can call it out now. And that's the first step is just being able to like be aware that it's a thing that's happening. That's um, right. Kevin, this was awesome, man. Thank you so much for making the time. Uh, you are a delight, sir. Uh, Thank but, you. but this was really yeah. informative too. I enjoyed the uh, the concepts and themes that emerged out of it. So I appreciate you. Fantastic. All right, man. Have a great day. Stay safe. Stay safe. Okay. <laughs> will we'll do. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab.